Hello, friend. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Zach Holt, and this is Come to the Table. Some of our most intimate conversations happen at the kitchen table. Walls crumble as space is created to know one another more deeply. Hurt and heartache are replaced by hope and healing when we simply let down our guard, pull up a chair, and be who we are where we are. In our time together, we will step into the stories of others, uh, the recovery stories of redemption, we'll offer resources and connections for those in need, and come together as a community starving for revival in our region. So if you're hungry, you came to the right place. Uh, well, we want to thank you so much for joining us uh, today, whether you're listening Tuesday at 1 uh, or if you're listening to us on a podcast format. We are so grateful uh, to have you with us in, in this uh, really cool radio family adventure that, that we are all on. Uh, so today um, we have somebody who is not in recovery. A dear friend of mine, uh, Ann Ledgerwood, is going to meet with us and, and share a little bit. And, and it's really, really cool because we've been trying over the course of the show to, to share from a, a lot of different angles. We've shared uh, Rick Mitchell came and talked about his work as a clinical professional. Caroline Hawthorne came and talked about her work uh, specifically with Hunt Mission down in Bristol. And so trying to get some different voices other than those who have just walked through the the, the dredges and the, and the rough stuff of addiction. And so Anne is a pediatric physical therapist. Uh, she's been working 43 years. Yes. Yeah. Uh, serving children and families all throughout Southwest Virginia. And so her practice involves everything from working in clinics to hospitals, home health, school systems, and early intervention, uh, which is something I'd never heard of until she sent me the text telling me about what she does. So I'm personally really excited about uh, hearing a little bit more about what early intervention is. Um, But she works a lot with babies that struggle with neonatal abstinence syndrome. Um, And so this is a a really, really important topic, especially uh, there are just a a lot of children that that get kind of caught in the crossfire of addiction. And so, uh, and we're so glad to have you to hear your story and uh, learn a little bit today. Well, thank you for having me, Zach. Thank you for being here. So why don't you start off and just tell us a, a little bit about your story and kind of how you found yourself in the role that you presently fill. Okay. Well, I am a native Southwest Virginian and um, have been a physical therapist for 43 years. Um, I always knew I wanted to work with children because I love kids. So it was never quite a question for me which part of physical therapy I would choose. So um, I have worked with adults in the past. I don't do that now. But my practice now is is pretty much confined to Smith County Schools, where mm-hmm. I work, and also to what is called early intervention, mm-hmm. which is the birth to three age group. Mm-hmm. So just a moment to understand a little bit about what these programs are. There's a federal law called the IDEA, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And what that does is it requ- it um, provides for uh, services for children in need. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the school services cover from three to twenty-one or twenty-two, depending on when child's birthday is, um, and but and that's called Part B. But Part C is early intervention, which is birth to age two or three, depending on a family's choice. So the the services in early intervention typically occur in what's called the natural environment for a baby, which would either be at home or perhaps a daycare. Sometimes when they're older, maybe on a playground. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the role of early intervention is really just to, so we don't have any gaps. We have children that are born very premature. We have children with various different diagnoses early on uh, that we can begin to intervene with them very early, just mm-hmm. as the name says. And we make more of an impact. Mm-hmm. 
we can make a much bigger impact working with the baby and dealing and helping the family know how to deal with particular problems than to wait till a child is old enough to go to school. Mm-hmm. Then we've missed some time. Mm-hmm. So that's what early intervention is about. It mm-hmm. is a, a federal program across the country. We'll talk more maybe toward the end of the show about how you, if you're out there listening and you have concerns about your child or grandchild or niece or nephew or whatever, and the birth to three age group, how we, you can hook into the resources. Um, but in the midst of my pediatric walk in therapy, the beginning of it was a whole lot different than it is now. And it used to be the children that I worked with had cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, various developmental delays, and I still do that. But in the probably the past 20 to 25 years, it has really changed. And some of that is related to just the the, the epidemic we have of, of substance use. Sure. And so that affects, it affects people on many, many levels. Mm-hmm. So what we'll talk a lot about today is related to the children themselves, the babies that are born substance exposed. But it's bigger than that too. It's really the social layers of all of this that because we have children I mean, with parents being in active addiction, and they're not, they're homeless or they're incarcerated or whatever, then that makes a the burden, and it's, it is not a burden, but it sometimes can feel like a burden, but the responsibility is a better word. The responsibility of child rearing goes to the next generation or the next. Mm-hmm. So it may be grandparents raising grandkids. It may be great-grandparents. It's aunts and uncles. It's cousins. Or if there is no family member that can be found, it ends up oftentimes being kids being placed in uh, social services mm-hmm. in, the, as, in the care of the state. So it's really a complicated thing. It is just kind of crushing our family structure. And children um, need stability. They need stability. You know, thank goodness we have grandparents and great-grandparents that do, and and foster families that do this hard work. It's hard work to do this, um, to to be an older person and dealing with the younger. This past week I went and saw a baby, and the grandma has already adopted two of her grandkids. Mm -hmm. Has already done that because uh, one of her kids is is who knows where in active addiction right now, and then she has now taken four more, four more from another child into her home. So now she has six little kids. She's working full time. She has six kids in her home, and they're young. So I mean, it it's just a really cr- a crushing thing to see this. So that grandma is dealing with the day-to-day stress of having that many children, not even saying if they're substance exposed or not, mm-hmm. just saying that many kids. And then even normal healthy yes, kids. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, I love lot. kids, but they take energy. <laughs> they take a lot of energy. But <clears throat> but not only that, but the emotional burden of knowing that she is caring for all these children because her her son is in active addiction and she doesn't know where he is. And he can't take care of his own kids. So it's just very layered. And then also, this could be a whole show all in Mm -hmm. itself, is this this situation with foster care that the system is really just breaking. Mm -hmm. There are so many kids in the system. Now, um, I was told by someone that works at DSS not long ago that in Washington County, Virginia alone, we are now over the mark of 100 kids in foster care. Wow. In one county alone. So that's not, I mean, if you look at the stats across the Commonwealth and across the nation as a whole, this is not just our problem here in Southwest Virginia. This is a problem across mm-hmm. the board. So all those things contribute to 
me seeing what's going on and wanting to try to figure out a way to try to make a difference in all of this. Now, directly, I work with families and help them learn how to help their children, Mm -hmm. okay? A lot of foster families and grandparents and all now. But also, too, how do we help the women, the moms Mm -hmm. that are out there and the dads that are unable to care for their kids because they're so caught in the, the kind of grip of addiction. You know, I, I tell people all the time, I, you know, I work and do recovery work. I'm involved with mended women and all the things, kind of some of the things going on. But I say, you know, these, I'm a mom, I'm mm-hmm. a grandma. Mm-hmm. No woman, no girl sets out in life to say, you know, when I grow up, I want to lose my kids. Mm-hmm. I want, no, they think I'm going to grow up and be a mommy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take care of my children. And then what happens is they get caught in this other cycle that makes them incapable of doing yeah. what they need by their kids. Mm-hmm. So as I talk about this, there's no judgment on my part mm-hmm. for the women and the, the women and men mm-hmm. who are unable to care for their kids because they're caught in that mm-hmm. in that um, place of addiction. I, <laughs> I told somebody the other day, you know, we often hear about the chains of addiction. Well, I think that's inaccurate because mm-hmm. chains are not alive. Mm-hmm. Chains, you cut chains off, the gravity takes them and they fall to the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, I think addiction is more like a monster mm-hmm. that is alive and that, you know, you better be watching for it. You better be watching mm-hmm. and doing your work so that you keep that down because just when you're not expecting it, it'll reach right up and take hold of you again. Absolutely. And that's what I see with families. I've worked with so many families where the the grandmas are just so struggling as they take care of their grandkids and mom sometimes is incarcerated or who or or grandma doesn't know where she is so the as i mentioned it's the it's multiple layer layers of of stress that go on with the family so now that i've talked all that amount i do want to talk a little bit about neonatal abstinence syndrome and what that is yeah yeah okay so when a woman is inactive addiction and is using drugs or drinking, that obviously with the placenta, mm-hmm. that's going to go to her baby if she is ingesting things that mm-hmm. that, that alter her mind, sure. okay? So what happens is that children who have been exposed in utero, especially long-term, when they're born, they have what is called neonatal abstinence syndrome. Mm-hmm. So they are um, irritable, Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes kind of jerky, hard to soothe, all these things because they're mm-hmm. having to be weaned off and withdraw from whatever mom mm-hmm. was taking mm-hmm. at the time. So that makes these children, these babies, difficult to care for because they are irritable. Now, it's not easy taking care of any baby. Mm-hmm. Babies cry, mm-hmm. you know, you <laughs> lots of stuff going on. But when you when you take a baby who is extra irritable because of being substance exposed and they're being cared for by people who are in active addiction and maybe don't have the best hold on their emotions themselves, it can be a recipe for disaster for that baby. So that, that it's just real important that we talk about these things so that people in the world understand this. There's not judgment. You know, the, I hear sometimes in the world, you know, that mother, if she just loved that enough, she would just quit. Well, mm-hmm. I think it's not that simple. Yeah. Oftentimes in life, we want to make things very simple. Mm-hmm. It's like this or this. Mm-hmm. But really, that's not how life is. Mm-hmm. It's not that simple. And so we just we need to figure out ways to help women on the front end before so that they're not getting pregnant and still using and having 
these things come up. Now, having worked for a long time, um, I have seen some things that are pretty hard to see. Um, one of the hardest things is to see a baby who's been shaken. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I've seen several in my years. What happens when babies get shaken is that they're shaken rapidly back and forth. Mm-hmm. Probably Most of the time, I would say, because a parent is frustrated. And what happens is the brain of the baby reverberates back and forth inside the skull. So there are some very um, classic when the MRI and the CAT scan are done, it looks a certain way to mm-hmm. be shaken. It's not like a skull fracture or a baby falling off a bed or mm-hmm. something like that. It is a very different look. Mm-hmm. And so because the brain reverberates back and forth inside the head, the, the damage in the brain is very overwhelming mm-hmm. because the whole brain has been shaken. Whereas a child maybe who has been the victim perhaps of abuse or maybe an accident and they do have a skull fracture, that looks very different because that's a part of the brain where their skull was fractured. Mm -hmm. So it's a very different look. Um, Shaken babies typically have just severe brain damage, Mm -hmm. severe. And most of the time when it happens, it's not intentional. Mm -hmm. That's such a sad thing. And that's one reason I just want to talk about this to Mm -hmm. anyone out there, whether it's a baby who has NAS, any baby, Mm -hmm. any parent, could harm their child in a fit of frustration. Mm-hmm. So the best thing to do if your baby is crying and crying and you can't console them is go put them in their bed and walk out of the room yeah. and let them cry. Don't don't get frustrated and just shake them because it will cause it will cause mm-hmm. lifelong brain damage. So it's just real important that we find ways to educate people to understand how to to keep our babies safe in utero, mm-hmm. and then once they're born, too. So it's a real complicated thing, and that all kind of rolls into why I do why, why I want to be here with you and mm-hmm. talk about this to families so that they can understand. Now, early intervention does a lot more than work with babies with NAS. So I want to make sure you know that sometimes children are delayed because they were premature, mm-hmm. or they're, they have delays because they may end up being diagnosed with autism eventually, or it may be that that it comes from just a, um, not being exposed to enough things, uh, enriching things for to learn, to learn about things or language, all that type of thing. So some children have feeding issues. So early intervention is able to to work with families, and that's our real a really important part of what it is. It's not that the therapist comes in and waves a magic wand. It's that therapist teaches the family how to help their child mm-hmm. because the, these strategies have to be embedded in the day-to-day routines for them really to make a difference. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was a, a long answer to that question. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. That's yeah. so interesting. So interesting. Uh, so guys, we want to take a second and uh, we're at the halfway mark and, and we want to thank you so much for listening to Come to the Table on WEHC 90.7 and Wise FM 90.5. We're here with Ann Ledgerwood and she is uh, sharing about her work. Um, and uh, wow, just so interesting to hear um, how impactful uh, the work is that, that she's doing. So um, we talk a, a lot and one of the common questions that I ask folks um, when we have time to sit down together um, in this really, really awesome TED Talk, Simon Sinek says you, you start with the why. And if you, if, you know, if you know your why, if you know why you do what you do, it makes the what and the how so much easier. So I've gotten a little bit of that, but, um, but 
share a little bit more of your of your heart. Maybe have there been um, some some stories respecting you know uh, names and confidentiality, or however that looks. But um, have there been like some stories that you're like, yes, this this is why I do what I do. Have you have you had experiences like that? Because it sounds like a whole lot of heaviness well, in that um, work. Absolutely, that's true. Well, I have personal experience with you know some family members that have struggled with addiction too. Sure. So it's personal in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really throughout my whole life, my personal life and my professional life, that I, that I just see this and want to make a difference in helping people get to a point of recovery. Mm-hmm. Now, I see a lot of great things, too, in my work. Mm-hmm. So that's really important. Mm-hmm. We have I have kind of focused on the things that are really on my heart today. Mm-hmm. But, you know, being able to see this stuff a lot of people don't know about. Oh, you know? yes. Like I, I never I've been recovery minister for a while and I didn't I didn't know the you know, the acronyms and all that. So right. Good and, to know. Yeah. yeah. So I guess, you know, for me, I mean, being able to help a family, mm-hmm. to help their child know how to to take their first step, that's yeah. really, I mean, and nowadays, of course, with phones, I get videos all the time from families. Look, she's walking now. Cool. Look, he's crawling now. Yeah. All that type thing. So so that's a, a, a great, mm-hmm. a great blessing to me. And just I, that there's a blessing to me in every family, yeah. every family. Sometimes I'm dealing with things that are really tragic, mm-hmm. like a shaken baby. Mm-hmm. That's tragic. But there's still a blessing in that yeah. because there's something that, that there's love that is shown from the, the family to the child, the child to the family. Sometimes it's, it's a seeing a smile, and a child's never smiled before. Yeah. It's all kinds of things like that. Sure. And sometimes it's really big things, mm-hmm. you know, when a child is starting to walk or when they're starting to talk. I'm telling you, <laughs> I have learned over the years that as a physical therapist, I can physically help a child learn to walk. Mm-hmm. Most kids. Well, not every child, but most kids, because I can stand them up and I can help them take mm-hmm. steps. But my hat goes off to my speech therapy friends mm-hmm. because I'm telling you, you can't reach in and pull the words out. Mm-hmm. You know, you can encourage and encourage and teach families how to encourage and uh, model good language and all that. So this is a shout out to my colleagues, <laughs> my speech colleagues, and also the occupational therapy colleagues that I have, too. I just really I am very blessed in what I do. I love what I do. I feel like every day I don't dread getting up every day. I get up and I'm excited to go to see what the day holds. Mm -hmm. I have been in homes that are like, you know, really, really nice homes in gated communities. Mm -hmm. And I've been in homes with dirt floors and everything in the middle. Mm -hmm. And it really doesn't intimidate me. Um, Maybe it should, but it doesn't. And just, I guess, because I've done it so long. Mm -hmm. But I just, I think that every, there's a blessing in everything. Absolutely. Everything we see, it can be a small Mm -hmm. thing or it can be a large thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of part of what, Mm motivates me and I just look at from a, the prevention standpoint if we can figure out how to help put our family structures back together mm-hmm. and help our parents who love their kids mm-hmm. be able to have their kids mm-hmm. so that their grandparents who really should be able to kind of be coasting a little bit mm-hmm. in life <laughs> mm-hmm. are not having to work mm-hmm. as hard as they are so it's all on, on many levels mm-hmm. many levels yeah mm-hmm. yeah you know, I think it's it's amazing in our um, in our our world of of recovery ministry how many um, how many moms and dads have 
estranged or fractured relationships with their kids and the amount of the amount of, of guilt that that causes mm-hmm. um, and how that guilt and that shame from not being the kind of dad that they felt like they should be or the kind of mom that they felt like they should be, how that is actually um, kind of a, a fuel, I guess, to continue propelling them deeper into addiction. And so it's this vicious cycle um, where people are further and further away from that reconciliation, that familiar mm-hmm. reconciliation that I think they so desperately want. Mm-hmm. And it is a, a truly beautiful thing when you're able to see families come back together and kind mm-hmm. of those generational curses kind of broken in that way, mm-hmm. you know, to where, um, you know, we have a, a, a really cute situation with one of our guys in, in 117. His, he's got this little boy who's six and um, has just, their relationship is just, is just remarkable. Um, and so he comes to the table every Sunday night and he holds his dad's hand. And when his dad prays, he prays. And it's just like the most adorable thing mm-hmm. ever. And he's like showing him because he'll tell me, he'll say, Zach, for a long time, I thought I knew what being a man was. And it was this and this and this. He was like, I had it so wrong. He was like, um, being a man for me is, is about modeling for my boy, you know, and yes. showing him what it means, you know, to be a dad mm-hmm. so that one day he'll grow up. Um, and, and he'll be the kind of dad that I am. Like I mm-hmm. want him to want to become like me, ah. you know, mm-hmm. and it's just precious to, to hear some of that. Mm-hmm. So you have been a big part of helping Mended Women Lifestyle Recovery get off the ground and get going. Um, Mended Women Lifestyle Recovery, as a reminder to our listeners, is the sister uh, recovery center for Bristol Lifestyle Recovery, which is a men's center down in Bristol. Uh, so both of those operate under Fairview Housing, uh, do really, really great work. I think there are 25, mm-hmm. 28 women at Men and mm-hmm. Women right now. Mm-hmm. So how do you see that connection um, between your pediatric physical therapy and recovery ministry? Where's the crossover there for you? Um, I'm not sure exactly. I guess as I was growing up, my parents modeled a lot of service mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. And as a physical therapist, people that go into healthcare and the helping professions, mm-hmm. whether whether it's healthcare or teachers, mm-hmm. I know a lot of teachers as well. And I also want to do a shout out to, to the people in um, early intervention. Uh, you were talking about parenting; it's so mm-hmm. important. We have teachers that work mm-hmm. in early intervention as well, and then the service coordinators that manage all the paperwork, which is not my forte, yeah, but but I'm that's really that. necessary. <laughs> but our but our developmental providers, our teachers, also do a great job of helping with parenting mm-hmm. skills. So that's another thing related to early intervention. Um, but for me, I, it just I guess my life is just not really separated Mm -hmm. you know i mean what i do here is it just all kind of rolls together Mm -hmm. and i had just felt this for a long time Um, i'm part of also samaritan house ministries which is a women's reentry program Mm -hmm. Uh, we work alongside mended women and Mm -hmm. also with hands and feet ministry Mm -hmm. from damascus and just trying to help people i'm Mm -hmm. just trying to help give people a hand up, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so I guess it's, for me, it's hard to separate it all out mm-hmm. because it is just, I mean, those of us who go into people's homes mm-hmm. and you never know what you're going to get, you know, when you go, <laughs> it is definitely a bit of a ministry in and of itself mm-hmm. when you're going into someone else's space mm-hmm. and um, navigating that. Mm-hmm. And and in a lot of what we do, we really are trying to empower mm-hmm. parents mm-hmm to be good parents, just as you're talking about mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. man at 117, parent, people who are parents want to be good parents. 
sometimes just don't know how. So I think early intervention does a lot to that as well. because really, I think deep down, all of us, I mean, people love their kids. Sure. They just need help sometimes mm-hmm. knowing how to, to be the best parent that they can be. Mm-hmm. I do want to give just a little bit of information. If someone out there listening would like to know about more about early intervention, you can go yeah, to a website. Good. It's I-T-C-V-A dot online. So again, that's I, it stands for Infant and Toddler Connection Virginia. So I-T-C-V-A dot online. And you can go on there and begin to navigate that. You can look um, on there to, you can make a referral Mm -hmm. right through the website. If you have concerns about your child or a friend's Mm -hmm. child or whatever, you can do that right online. You can also look up the location, you know, like, you know, Washington County, Virginia, or Wise County, Virginia, or wherever in the Commonwealth. This is just for Virginia. Mm-hmm. And but every state has their own. So you can look it up that way, or you can call your local community mm-hmm. services board and they will be able and ask for early intervention and mm-hmm. they'll be able to connect you to the right place. Because this is a, a program that goes across the nation, but in Virginia it's under infant and toddler connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And so what are, so in addition to, um, what was it, abstinence, what was it? Neonatal abstinence syndrome. Yeah, so <laughs> does that, does that only, does that classification, that diagnosis, does that, does that terminate or do kids, do, do children with that diagnosis, do they get better on their own? Do things improve or what? That is an excellent question. That's an excellent question because we really don't know. We do know some things we can we can help on the front end when a child is first when a baby is born. I mean, one of the things I do is instruct families, um, Mm -hmm. foster families or any families Mm -hmm. in infant massage, Mm -hmm. because that's a real important part of of bonding with a baby Mm -hmm. and knowing how to interact with that baby. And of course, we know that 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 good touch is healing. We know that. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that that we do but there's so much we just don't know yet mm-hmm. we just don't know because we don't have a lot of statistics in the future I also work in the school system and I think we're seeing some things in the schools related probably to um, children that have grown up that had mm-hmm. that were substance exposed mm-hmm. um, because and just we just don't know exactly and there are a lot of other societal factors related to you know not being as physically active as kids used mm-hmm. to be uh, do, you know playing video games a lot and of course you know we talk about that as the you know the whatever evil it's not evil but it's the everything you know it's the it's the fact that there's not the other mm-hmm. it replaces physical activity it replaces social interaction it replaces things instead of just being a little piece of that mm-hmm. so <clears throat> we just don't know yet, I guess, is the thing. Um, we do know that, that the infants, that they can't, sometimes they are just really fussy and scream and cry a lot. Sometimes they are withdrawn, mm-hmm. like they are just like pulled away mm-hmm. inside. And you have to, we have to really work to try to draw their personality out. So the answer to that is we really don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, we will know more in time. But there's always hope. And I've seen lots and lots of babies who are doing really well who That's started good. off kind mm-hmm. of in a rough place. Mm-hmm. We just don't know what the long-term effects will be just mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say um, What would you say to, uh, to the mother who is, uh, just discovered that she's pregnant um, and it was a surprise, she's got a substance abuse problem, um, what do you what do you say to her? I would say 
Don't be afraid of medical help. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid of your doctor. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a lot of times there is a fear like there's no there's you know, I can't go because they're going to judge me. Mm -hmm. But I think that is changing. Uh, The medical providers, the physicians should be willing to help, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, because there can be managed. You know, you can't just if a woman is on opioids, you can't just jerk her off in the middle of her pregnancy of medication because, you know, it's going to be really bad. But there are ways to manage that and then to be able to help her deal with the issues that kind of put her there in the first place of, of, of using and because she wants to be a good mom. Yeah. She wants to be a good mom. Mm-hmm. We just there are ways to don't be afraid to seek help. That would be what I would say. Please don't run from the medical people. Let medical folks help you. And then the, the last question uh, before we wrap up here is similar. Um, what would you say? Because it sounds like your heart is really burdened for some of the grandmoms and granddads that are having to carry. What what do you say to the grandmom who has six kids that aren't hers and, and she's just at her wit's end and doesn't think she can take another step? I would say if she has time and she that to get to talk to a counselor. Mm-hmm. Or a therapist. Mm-hmm. I think that would help her. And they're all, you know, if she's part of a, of a church family, mm-hmm. lean on your church family. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have an extended family, lean on your family. Let people help you. Um, if they, if you have little ones that are birth to three, we, we have resources. We can get in there to help. Okay. We can get in there to help you with some things, mm-hmm. not everything. So there are, you know, there. I know there's a, a, a program at um, Highlands, uh, Thailand's Fellowship sure. Church, mm-hmm. where they have um, items, you know, baby beds and clothing and diapers and all that kind of stuff. Where they, you know, if, if if a mom ends up she's pregnant and she doesn't have any money and or you know she doesn't have whatever, where she can get help. One of the issues really ha- is also about housing, which could be like you know two or three shows in and of itself <laughs> because there's just not enough Seriously. reasonable affordable housing. Yeah. But I would just say you know to um, Hang in there. You know, you're doing good work by taking care of your grandkids. We know you're tired. Try to find somebody to help you and maybe take yourself and out to a movie one night <laughs> would advice. be what I would say. That's good advice. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, and thank you so much for well, thank being you here for having me, Zach. with us today. And uh, thank you, friend, for joining us on this episode of Come to the Table. Uh, we really hope that it's been an encouragement to your recovery or created in you a curiosity about what it means to live into a new mindset of selfless service to others. If you'd like to know more about our ministry or for coaching on how you can more faithfully walk with others in their time of need, we would love to connect with you and pour into you. If you're interested in recovery resources or creating spaces for spiritual growth, you can reach out to us at thetablebristol117 at gmail.com. You don't have to walk the road alone. Hope and redemption, beauty from ashes, light from dark are all so much closer than you know. Grace and peace to you, my friend.